came out uh, studying loneliness, and uh, here's, here's, what, uh, here's part of what the, the study concluded. Uh, my colleagues and I found that feelings of loneliness are roughly stable and low for people who spend anywhere from 25 to 75% of their day alone. It's sort of counterintuitive to think that someone who spends 75% of their time alone is no more likely to feel lonely than someone who spends 75% of their time around other people. But a larger message that comes from this analysis is that loneliness is really about perceptions. Lonely people want a kind of connection they aren't, they, they, that they aren't getting, not just to be, quote, around people more. Um, so I, I don't know if it would surprise you to, to know that. Maybe you know that experience very well. Uh, being around people does not necessarily make you less lonely. That's the point. Uh, and, and in fact, people who spend 75% of their time by themselves are no more or less lonely than the person who spends 75% of the time with other people. Uh, I don't know, does that surprise you? I mean, it, it is kind of counterintuitive. Uh, but, but we've all experienced that sense of being alone in a room full of people. Um, and so, so, so it just sort of maps out. Uh, and what the study goes on to say, essentially, is that um, from a sort of evolutionary biology and social neuroscience perspective, uh, people need to live in connection with others. Uh, and so we're in a series on community because, and, and really we've been focusing on it for the whole year um, through our, time, our meals together and, and like we're going to share a meal now because um, if this, the data is to be believed um, and these studies are to be believed, we're sort of, we're, our country and our world really is in an epidemic of loneliness. Um, and it's not just because people can't be around each other anymore. That was covid um, and that definitely didn't help. But the bigger problem is that we, we, we actually, we really fail to connect with each other. It's really difficult to know and be known with other people. And so this passage um, presents a gospel proclamation from Paul that points us to three significant features of the Christian community um, and that three things that make the Christian community beautiful um, and, and therefore, three ways in which what we're hoping for at Bridge is, is to be a place where people can and will indeed connect by God's grace and not just be another place where you are near people and yet alone, but, but that we would find that connection with, with others and with the Lord. So, so those three things. Um, in the Christian community, we can know why we're here. Uh, we know who we are, and then we know how to be. Uh, why, why are we here? Um, the Apostle Paul, as, as Nolan read, is, is preaching in Athens. Um, and if you don't know much about ancient uh, history, you probably know that Athens is a big deal. It's the center, it's sort of the cultural, intellectual, religious center of the Greco-Roman world. And where is he preaching? So Paul's there, and he's preaching in the Areopagus. Um, did I say that right? I think I did. Um, and what, what that is, is it's a council of the leading philosophers and thinkers in Athens. So um, Paul is sort of at the center of the center of intellectual and thought life and political life in the Greco-Roman world. That's where he's speaking. We don't, I was trying to think about this, we don't really have a modern day equivalent. I don't know what you would all name as the center of the center of thought life in the world today. Um, it kind of feels like my suspicion is that it's like it's some sort of viral video is maybe where it is, I don't know. You know, I mean, universities are sort of less feel that way, right? Um, 
you know, but you could imagine something like the top university sort of coming together um, as maybe the center of it. I did think it's sort of like um, if Mr. Beast was a YouTube channel about intellectual thought, that's kind of the equivalent, right? Um, and if you don't know who Mr. Beast is, um, you should know who Mr. Beast is. Um, and, and any of our youth, I'm sure, can let you know. And I'm probably out of fashion now. He's probably not cool anymore, so they're probably laughing at me, but I don't care. Um, he is the most popular YouTuber, I think, in the history of YouTube. So, so Paul is there. He's at, that, he's at that pinnacle point. And what he's doing is he's trying to explain there's been some misunderstandings about what his proclamation is. They're kind of making fun of him. They call him a babbler. They're like, what are you talking about? And so Paul goes to clear up what his, what his gospel presentation is. And he says a lot of beautiful things. But one thing in particular for our purposes I want you to notice about the God he proclaims is in verse 20, um, is in, where am I? Um, well, oh, oh wait, so let me, let me back up a second. So, um, so yeah, right. So what, before I get to that, that particular point, but part of what makes this, this particular presentation so famous and well-known and studied is you notice that Paul does a lot of work to establish a bridge with, the, with, with these folks who, don't, who do not believe in the gospel. Um, so you notice he, he talks about how um, he says, that he, I notice you're religious in every way. He's not making fun of them. It's not like, that's not sort of like he's mocking them. He's, he's trying to make a connection point with his audience. Um, he says, I noticed an altar to the unknown, an unknown God, God in your city. Um, and he even quotes their own poets back to them. There's two quotations where Paul uses their own people and, and speaks it back to them to affirm his gospel message. Um, and so part of what's happening there in Paul doing that is he's trying to say to the Athenians, you're, you're actually not far off. The, the unknown God um, is a God that, that you're actually really close to knowing. Um, and, and in fact, I'm here to tell you who that unknown God is. Uh, I, I, Paul's effect saying, I know the one you're seeking. And, and he, he, what he does is he offers um, a picture of who God is in, in his message to them. Um, and, and here's where I want to just focus in on one part of that. Um, it starts in verse 26. Um, one part of who he tells this, how he describes the God that they are seeking, the God of the Bible. He says, verse 26, listen to this. From one man, he, God, made this unknown God. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. So Paul, he tells them that the unknown God has this omnipotent power such that the, the reason that they're gathered there in that moment, um, the, the reason that humanity comes together in a place like Athens um, is, is not for the reasons that you think it is. That's what he's trying to tell them. It's not so that you can be the cultural, um, military, or political power in the world. God made the nations, right? The word is ethnos. It, God made the nations. He, he brings every culture, every family, every community together in their time and place. They're formed throughout history, and all the culture that they create, their lives together as image bearers, whatever goodness comes out of that, is an invitation, Paul says, to know God. God intentionally ordained that so that people 
what does it say in verse 27? Might reach out for him and find him. That's quite a claim to make for a very proud city that actually the reason you're here, actually America, the reason you're here is not because we want America to dominate the world, but that by the culture coming together, by people being a part of this country, people would, through that experience of community, turn and know the living God. And, um, and also America, it's all the nations, not just you. Right? I mean, come on, Americans. You, you know you need to hear that. Um, yeah, right? And it's all the nations are, are gathered for that purpose. So the, the plot kind of shifts then for people. If you really take this in and think about it, um, it's a little bit like, uh, and I can't remember the name of the movie, but there's a, there's a movie where, and because it's several movies, this is the plot of several movies, you'll identify this. You bring together a bunch of people, a rich person calls all his friends to his house under the, under the, you know, the idea that they're going to just have a good time and they're going to um, enjoy his, his retreat and and, and yet, though, what this rich person has in mind is something, an entirely different purpose. Actually, there's a murderer among them, and you're going to spend the weekend not enjoying yourself, but trying to figure out who the murderer is, right? Um, and so what happens is suddenly the, the plot, the reason that they're gathered changes, and suddenly instead of enjoying the time together, um, now they're all looking at each other suspiciously as though who is the murderer in this situation, right? Everything about the way they relate changes because the reason that they're gathered changes, um, Okay, so that's a negative view. That's not like what God does. Um, a little bit more like what God does is, um, I don't know if you saw, um, it, speaking of viral videos, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Sir Nicholas Winton. Uh, he, he was, um, he's a Czech man uh, living in Czechoslovakia. And, and what Mr. Winton did was over the course of World War II, um, he managed to uh, help 669 children escape from Sorry, escape from uh, Nazi concentration camps. Uh, it was called the Czech Kinder Transport Train, which I kind of love because it makes me think of Kinder Eggs. But um, the, the, the Czech Kinder Transport Train. Um, and, and what's really interesting about this gentleman is that he kept it quiet his whole life. 669 people he helped escape the Holocaust, and he didn't tell a soul, and no one in his family made a big deal about it. Um, and then one day... Uh, and you have to look up the video because it's just remarkable. Um, he was invited to a, a, a room just like this where he thought there was going to be a speaker on, 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 on some, I forget the topic, some unrelated topic that he was interested in. He goes to the meeting thinking he's going to hear some sort of you know, in, in, interesting lecture. And all of a sudden what happens instead is that everyone in the audience stands up around him and, and the person up front identifies and says, um, and says um, Mr. Winton, these are the children of the people that you helped escape. And, and so I tell you that story to tell you how, how, how important it is to know why you're in a particular place. And when you begin to realize the truth of that, how that completely changes your life and your perception of other people. He went for a boring lecture and instead, the purpose was to be honored and to be reminded of how good God had been to him and to all those people. Um, and, it, and the reason he was there changed everything for him in that moment. Um, his location in that community completely shifted 
He, he became an honored guest. And so Paul, what Paul is doing is he's showing the community, um, he's showing them that, that, that community life has a far richer or more noble purpose and intention than just to gather power, than just to make money, um, which, by the way, it's, it's not bad to make money. Uh, using power wisely is a good thing, right? I'm not trying to villainize those things. Um, but that's not the sole reason that, that the community comes together. Uh, the, the, the main draw, the reason why communities are formed, Paul tells us and tells the Athenians, is to draw people toward God. And if you begin to accept that truth about yourself, um, if you begin to sort of take that truth into your life, God's omnipotent bringing me together into community, uh, two things, well, many things might happen, but I just want to suggest two things that will happen to you. Um, every, first of all, every community that you're presently a part of, whether it's a bridge, whether it's at the place you work, whether it's the, the neighborhood you live in, will begin to take on a new value. See, Christians often get this wrong, and I have for a long time, that the only valuable community for me to invest in is my church community. Um, and, and at the exclusion of, my, let's say, my Glenside community or the work community that I have. But what Paul is telling us is, no, no, no. Every, every group of people that are brought together have a value and, and, and they have a call for us to celebrate the good and challenge the evil because part of how God draws people to himself is in and through those communities. Uh, put it another way, a central premise of Paul's whole sermon is that the, the pagan world, the pagan you know, Athenian community uh, is capable of being redeemed. And what he's trying to do is show them how what they're, they're, they're right at the edge of it. The goodness of community. Do you know what that is, Athenians? It's God calling you to himself. So wherever, whatever community you're in, when you find those reflections of goodness, there, therein is an opportunity. You don't always have to say, hey, did you know that's God? That's really God. Right? It, it, but but you're, you're shining a light on that. You're, 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 you're moving toward the good and the peace and prosperity of the city, uh, the peace and prosperity of your workplace, of your neighborhood, because that's one way, by God's grace, he calls us to himself. He calls your neighbors to himself. To himself. So if you take this in, that's the first thing that will change. And then the second thing that will change, and this is more particular for us, is that our gospel invitation will be super broad. It will be a massively wide invite to all people. Um, if, if God truly calls people to community in his omnipotent power to invite them to himself, um, then, then our invitation at Bridge should be anyone is welcome to come taste and see that the Lord is good. Every person is welcome to come and belong. Um, and this is a, a tenant I've learned from, um, I think it's New Life Masigar. So there's a church, a mission, uh, search has missionaries in, in London. Um, there's a church plant there. And one of the central things that I believe, and Dad, you can, you can uh, write an email to correct me if I'm getting the story wrong here. But one of the things that I heard um, and that I continue to hear out of that, that particular missionary work there was the, the, uh, the notion um, and I don't know that it originated there, but this is where I got it, all right, is that um, the church should be a place where people um, can belong before they believe. 
right? And that, that should be our, our mindset, a marker of bridge, is that we invite people to belong, and by God's grace, that will, that will be a part of God bringing them to believe. And so come to the nacho bar and belong to the community. Even if you're angry at God, even if you don't believe God is real, even if you, you have no desire to know him, but you want to connect with God's people, it, isn't that how God can bring us, bring people into his kingdom by allowing people to belong before they believe. And so our gospel invitation is super wide to the religious, to the irreligious, to male and female, to black, white, to married, unmarried, to those suffering addiction, um, to the poor, to the rich, uh, to, to widows, whether you're gay or straight, or whether you're gender questioning, right? Whatever your situation is, whatever your background is, whatever stage of life you're in, in the, in the vast diversity that we have in our country and in our time and place, the invitation is come here and belong so that by God's grace you can begin to believe and Christ will transform your life. So, so that's, that's, that's the kind of place we want to be. Um, we want to be the kind of place where people can enter and experience community. Um, and so, and here's another way of saying it um, in the Paul way, so that we can look at them and say, do you see that unknown altar in your life? That's, let me tell you about who that God is right? That's, that's the kind of interaction we want to have. Because um, Lord knows the people that are, that are sort of, you know, membership doesn't exclude you from that. We all have that. <laughs> we all are doing that. Um, so, so what Paul has been saying to this point is uh, he's pointing to the largeness of God, his omnipotent power, and how he forms communities. Um, by the way, I know that Paul is not explicitly talking about the church, but, but certainly what he says about the nations um, all the more so true of God's purposes with the church. Uh, so so the, God's speaking about this, this large, omnipotent, powerful God. He's not contained by temples. Um, he doesn't need offerings, right? He goes on and on. He doesn't need our sacrifices. He's not dependent upon humans. Um, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He's gonna, he's, was there at your beginning. He's going to be your judge at the end, right? He's giving them this massive picture. Um, he depends on nothing and no one for life, uh, he gives breath and life to all things. But then, but then Paul also proceeds to show a different aspect of who God is. Um, in verse 27, he says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps, right, God brought all these things together so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Then verse 28, for in him, and now Paul is quoting back to them, their own poets, for in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So notice the contrast. All-powerful, all-knowing, self-sustaining God and in him whom we live and move and have our being. Deeply personal. Deeply next to us, close to us. Today you, you live and you move and have your being in God. He's that close to you. He's right next to you. And so when you turn to God, you find um, you, not only the author of history, but the one who made you and he knows you all the way down to the bottom of who you are. Um, and and so, so in other words, um, this would have been a challenge for a room full of philosophers and intellectuals. Because Paul is telling them that before this God, you are not just a knower, 
you are known. Right? Think about that with me. What, what, is the, what is the life of an intellectual and a philosopher? They endeavor to know more than anybody else. An increase in knowledge, right? That's the name of the game. And in fact, I mean, that, that's kind of the, a lot of the name of the game for us today, isn't it? I mean, the internet is a giant uh, machine to, so that we can grow knowing things. Um, it feels that way. Maybe that's a really, po I feel like that's a very positive spin on the internet, but I'm going to go with that. But, 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 but so much of your life is driven by knowing and, and, and accumulating and consuming. And what Paul flips the script on them and says, no, no, here's what's really true when you come to God. You are known, not just that you're a knower. Uh, so, so, you know, we may not be philosophers and intellectuals here, although, although certainly I think, I think uh, we, we have a good host of them here. But, but we live, we do live in that time where, where we're more comfortable accumulating knowledge than being known. We could put it that way. Uh, and, and yet what Paul says is before God, you are completely known. Now, don't drive by that too quickly. I want you to just sit with that for a moment. You are, you are completely known by God. Uh, he knows what's making you anxious right now. Uh, he, knows, he knows your interior life. He knows the things that you're keeping locked away that are too painful to deal with. Right? These are the levels at which he knows you. He, he knows what, what gives you joy. He knows the best parts of you. You are completely, totally known by God. In him you live and move and have your being. You are known. And, and so um, you might be asking, what, what on earth does that have to do with community? Um, well, one of the deepest needs we have in life is actually to be known by others. Um, and that's, that's both introvert and extrovert. To be known is vital to your well-being. Um, why? Because, uh, so follow with me. Right? We're gonna say, I'm going to say the word known a lot, and it might get confusing. You, you all desire to be known, um, and the reason for that is because uh, you, when you're known by others, then you can know yourself. Um, so here, just test it out real quick. What, what is something that is deeply true about you? Just a characteristic you have, something you know about yourself. Um, it could be a personality trait. It could be something that you enjoy doing. Um, I, would, <clears throat> I would suggest to you that the way that you arrived at the conclusion of what you just told yourself about yourself is it, how do you know that? Um, in large part because on some level or another, other people know you and they've reflected that, what you just thought about, back to you, and you've had, it with other people, you've had the context to, to show that you are that kind of person, and they've been able to affirm it and speak it into your life um, and help you know yourself. Um, you can't know yourself without being known by others, in other words. Um, we, we know that um, 
measuring, and I don't know how they do this, whenever they talk about what newborns can and can't do, I'm like, well, okay. Did you talk to the newborn? How do you know? But um, apparently the, uh, the brain, what, what, what we, if we look at the, um, the brain of a newborn, um, within hours after birth, a newborn not only recognizes others, but actually recognizes being looked at. They respond to being seen and known by, by someone else. That's kind of stunning, isn't it? That we, we are, um, Kurt, Kurt Thompson uh, says this. Um, he says, we're all born into this world looking for someone who is looking for us, and we remain in this noble mode of searching for the rest of our lives. Um, you want to be deeply known. You need to be deeply known in, order to, known in order to know yourself. And therefore, when you come to the one who has made you, who gives you life and breath, and who wants to dwell with you by his spirit, the more that you know him, the more deeply you'll become aware that he knows you, and therefore, you'll begin to know yourself. Are you following with me? So, so again, what does this have to do with community? Um, now I'm really going to answer that. Uh, do you know what it's like to share community with people who don't know themselves? It's not fun. <laughs> All right, I mean, a lot of community problems come about because people don't actually know themselves very well. Uh, I, I don't know if, you, if you've been in any strained relationships because some people think that they're acting in a certain way, but they can't actually see themselves, and they don't actually know what's going on. Does that sound familiar? People don't know themselves very well, and so they become many, um, uh, how do I say this artfully? They, they become uh, difficult in community. They don't see themselves. Um, and, and just so you know, if you're thinking only about other people, I just want to break the bad news to you. You are that person in someone else's story. Um, you are the person who doesn't know themselves and can't see themselves. And, and so God knows you, and therefore, the more you know yourself, as I say, the more your life is caught up with him. Uh, again, I just want to reiterate this. You are not erased. You do not become nothing, but you actually become, as a consequence, more yourself. You're not your own. You're bought at a price, and that means that when you go to the one who, who does own you, who, do, who does create you and know you, knows you, when you go to him, you actually, you get yourself in return. So, so in community, knowing God who knows us, and then we begin to know ourselves. Um, and, and so th this is a picture for, for community then, a calling of, of knowing, um, knowing ourselves then, is, is we then have the ministry of knowing one another. Um, this is a big part of my own testimony. Um, Eric McCloy, who many of you know, uh, his ministry to me as a teenager, when I was really just, um, just in a very sort of, yeah, just a bad place, didn't really know what, what I was doing, didn't know why um, school existed, didn't have a care for it, um, just depressed in a lot of ways. But part of what Eric's ministry was to me was not, not to necessarily teach me a bunch of things, um, not to give me a lot of good nuggets of wisdom, although he did, but mainly, as I've been reflecting on it, how he ministered to me and cared for me is that he, he just pursued knowing me. He just got to know me. Um, and so then I was able to begin to know myself. Um, you know, when somebody asks you the question, why are you lying on the dining room floor not moving, 
Um, <laughs> you're invited to begin to know yourself a little bit, right? Um, why are you refusing to do your schoolwork? These questions, begin, you begin to know yourself. Um, and he ministered to me in that way and, and drew me to Christ. Um, so, so, so how does this kind of apply then as we, as we know ourselves, brothers and sisters, and, and knowing one another, knowing the Lord who helps us know ourselves? Um, it actually just gives us a, a good picture of what a healthy community will look like. Um, it's easy to get wrapped up in how many seats are filled here. Right? It's easy to get wrapped up in how big our budget is. It's even easy to get wrapped up for a church in how much we're doing, right? our activity. Um, but, but part of the picture that Paul paints here for us is, is, a, is a measure of our health, a measure of the kind of community we want to get to is the depth of knowing that we have of the Lord and the depth of knowing that we have of one another and therefore the depth of knowing we have of ourselves. And so, so what kind of community would it look like? Here's, here, I'll just get super practical, right? If you're getting lost in all the knowing, uh, how would our community have to change, shape, for you to say at the end of 2024, I spent the year knowing God more deeply and knowing myself more deeply? What, what would our community look like for that to be something you could say at the end of the year? Uh, an- another question how would our community have to change shape for you to say at the end of the year, there are three people in my life who know me deeply, who, who don't just know about me, but know my interior life, know who I am. What, what kind of community would, would give shape to that, would invite you to that, would make that possible, and, and value that, and value the time and space it creates for that sort of knowing, Right? That's, um, that's the picture of, of life with the God who, in whom we live and, know, and, and have our being. Um, so a, a people who know why they're gathered, a people who know who they are, um, they, they possess a beauty about them. And, uh, and so because of those two things as well, um, then you know how to be. And this is the last thing I want to, just touch on with you before we go to, go to the Lord's table. Um, we know how to be. Uh, and and the, sort of the, the, th- the way I tried to make this pithy and, and catch your attention and make it stick for you is, is how, how we might be, brothers and sisters, over the next year and over the course of the series as we think about it, is be a people who choose depth over increase. People, people who choose to go deeper rather than accumulate more. Um, so I'll just say two things about it depth of community um, we choose to go deeper with the people that, are, that we're gathered into community with um, this is important because if point A is true right, or point one is true if we have a, a really wide gospel invitation um, then that means God's going to bring all kinds of people all different kinds of people into our midst um, and so, so here's, here's how you go deeper with your community uh, you, you cease to allow social media and the news cycle to drive where your heart and, and what issues drive you um, and what issues you care about. Uh, because you're actually not designed to care about the whole world. That's God's job. You, you can't love the whole world. You can't care about every issue that comes up, both in the national level um, and in the worldwide level, certainly. 
Uh, and I'm not saying we don't pay attention to those things, but instead you trust that if our gospel invitation is wide, all kinds of important issues and needs and, and um, themes are going to come out of the community that you're facing right here in this room. I don't need to go out of my way to find important causes to give my time and attention to. God will bring them right into our midst. Uh, so, so go deeper with what God brings in our midst, and let's let the Lord work in and through that. Um, and, and I would just, particularly in an election year, particularly in a year where we know it, things are going to start to get real nuts real fast, um, you are not designed to care about the entire country all at once. But you are called to love and care for in the midst of all the storm that's going to come out, the people that are in this room and the communities that God has called you in to, and to talk and to minister and go deep with them. Um, and I hope what you hear is I'm not saying don't care about the issues of the world. Um, I hope you hear, and if, you, if you're, if you're kind of, if you want to spar with me on that one afterward, please, I invite you to do that. Um, and then the last thing is to, is to um, how to be, so we go deeper with the community God gives us. And lastly, we go deeper with our repentance. Um, how to be, we are a people of deep repentance. You notice, what does Paul call the, the, the people of Athens to at the end? Um, he said, in verse 30, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, um, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed that being Jesus, and has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Um, deeper your repentance, brothers and sisters. What do I mean by that? Um, there, there's, there's a call here to, do you have enough room, enough bandwidth in your thought life, in your daily life, that repentance, that changing your thinking, that turning to the one who will be your judge at the end, by turning to the one who died on your, for, your, for your sakes and rose again, do you have enough bandwidth in your life that you can daily turn and, and bring your heart before him and notice where have you drifted and where do you need to come back to him? Do you have, do you just begin with that basic question. Do you have space in your life for repentance? To rethink your thinking and to come back to the Lord. I just, I just encourage you to... Um, Reflect on that. Is there a space in your life to come back and turn to the one who knows you and loves you and gave himself up for you? That's where Paul ends. Um, and that's the invitation for us this morning. I just want to, um, I think David Brenner, uh, Benner, excuse me, does, a, does an excellent job helping us just kind of put a cap on these things, um, what kind of community we'll be. Uh, he writes, with God's help, we need to break through our illusions and see ourselves as we truly are in relation to God. A complete knowing of self in relation to God includes knowing three things. And this is part of the repentance. This is part of what we arrive at when we repent. Ourself as deeply loved, ourself as deeply sinful, and ourself as, in the, ourself as in the process of being redeemed and restored. Facing these deep truths about ourselves makes it possible for us to accept and know ourselves as we are accepted and known by God. And that's, that's the kind of peace and connection we want to draw people into. Um, that's, that, that's that loneliness 
that, the lack that's in that loneliness that I spoke about at the beginning. We want to be able to draw people in and be able to say that that's true of themselves. So, brothers and sisters, let's um, just take a moment, but we're going we're gonna to move to communion. And I'd just like you to take a moment, process. Um, what, do you, what do you hear the Spirit speaking to your heart? What do you want to take away from um, as you heard the, the word preached? What, what, is God, what is God just putting on your heart? So just take a moment and, and reflect.